0: All right, Isaiah 53. You guys ready tonight? Isaiah 53, let's start in verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And verse 5, this is a famous verse. We all know it. It says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Amen? Amen. And by his stripes we are healed. Now let's turn over to John, the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at John 19. John 19. I'm excited to preach to you tonight. We got a good word for you. So, John 19, let's start in verse 28. Everybody there? It says, After this, Jesus, knowing all the things that were now accomplished, the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And verse 29, and now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, and put on it hyssop. And he put it to his mouth. And verse 30, very important verse. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But notice that when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Underline that. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Amen. Now, if you're taking notes tonight, the title of message is "Cries from the Cross." It's cries from the cross. You know, uh, tonight in preparing the message, uh, been thinking a lot this past week and the past several weeks because we celebrate this week and really tomorrow we celebrate Good Friday. Everybody know about Good Friday. And we really, we celebrate this whole week, and and not just us, but people all around the world celebrate the Easter week. They celebrate Passover, and then they celebrate, you know, Good Friday, and then we, then of course on Sunday, we celebrate Easter, our Resurrection Day. And thinking about this, and meditating on this the past several weeks, I really want to do a message, uh, particularly about the cross, and about what Jesus said on the cross before he passed away. And, uh. It's really important that we get this tonight, and it's really been stirring in my spirit, the importance of the statements Jesus said before he passed away. And how many of you know right before you're about to pass on, uh, you don't just say random things. Everything you say is very important and very vital. You don't You don't have time to waste your words when you're passing away. And so, tonight we're going to talk about some of the statements Jesus said from the cross. Some of the cries He cried out. He was in pain. He was in agony. But the statements He said from the cross, because they mean something to us today. And you know, really out of, out of all the weeks, we should celebrate Jesus every week of our lives. But this week in particular, let us be mindful and think about what Jesus has done for us. You know, of all weeks of the year, not just Christians, but non-Christians alike, know that it's good friday people that don't even know jesus or respect jesus know it's good friday they know the significance of it they know about easter sunday they know about resurrection day when jesus got up from the grave they know this so everybody's thinking about it it's on everybody's mind this week And let us really take time, I I really ask you in the next few days, especially tomorrow, take time in reading the Gospels. We're going to talk about it some tonight, but in each Gospel, go through and read the story of what happened the week of the Passover, what happened when Jesus went to the cross. Read it and meditate on it this week. I tell you, it's going to bless you. It's going to do amazing things for you, because I've been doing that the past several weeks and just thinking and preparing for tonight. And I tell you what, God's going to do something special in your life. Because see, sometimes I realize this, especially growing up and being a church kid, you can get so uh, familiar with the story of the cross and Jesus and him being born that it doesn't even make an impact on you anymore. And that's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to be where the cross doesn't move you anymore. The gospel doesn't move you anymore. It doesn't affect you. You don't cry when you think about what he did. You don't laugh when you think about what he did. It doesn't move you at all. That's a scary place to be. I never want to be in that place. And so I'm praying that tonight that, that we are all impacted by the gospel. The gospel story. I know. Last week we talked a lot about covering why why Jesus had to come. Why did He have to cover us? Why we need covering? Why does God require blood to be shed and a life to be given? We we covered that some this week, and so we got to realize this that God doesn't do anything by accident. He does everything on purpose. He has a purpose and a time for everything. God doesn't just do things randomly, and we need to realize when Jesus came. It says Jesus came in the fullness of time. It was a perfect time. God doesn't just randomly say, Jesus, you get down there right now. No, in the fullness of time, God God knew in his foreknowledge when he would send Jesus to the earth, at the perfect time, at the appointed time. And notice he sent him at, at an amazing time where when the week before Jesus would be crucified, they were celebrating the festival of Passover. Anybody ever heard of the festival of Passover? And the Jewish people, they celebrated a lot of festivals. You know, during the year, there's a festival of unleavened bread. There's a festival of Pentecost. But one of the most important festivals that that people celebrate is the festival of Passover. And how many know Jesus was a good Jewish boy? And he celebrated this festival every day. I mean, every year of his life, all 33 years. And so we need to realize this. When Jesus was about to be crucified, the week of Jesus' crucifixion there was no accident that the Passover coincided with that week. That wasn't an accident. God knew when Jesus would be crucified in His foreknowledge. And it was on purpose that it was in that particular festival that Jesus would be crucified. I'm going to tell you the significance of Jesus being crucified on Passover. And we're going to kind of build this as we go. So we need to realize this uh, festival, this feast of Passover... It started in the book of Exodus. And how many remember Moses in the book of Exodus when, you know, him and Pharaoh were having it out and he said, Let my people go. And of course, we know the 10 plagues that came and finally Pharaoh let his people go. But there was one particular thing that happened in the book of Exodus when God sent his judgment on everyone there, not just the Egyptians, but the Hebrew people. And God said, if there's not blood on your doorpost, your firstborn son will be killed. Now you need to realize this, that's where the the feast of Passover started with. It started with the idea of blood being on your doorpost, so that the judgment of God will not come to your house. And we we need to realize this, in Exodus, there's a type and shadow of Jesus which was to come. And, the thing was, when the first Exodus, when in the book of Exodus, when that happened, uh, God said that, I want you to kill a lamb, a spotless lamb, an unblemished lamb. I don't want you to break any of his bones. And I want you to kill him. And when you kill him, drain all the blood out. But at the same time, that night, I want you to have a feast and feast on his body. But I want you to take the blood and, and use branches of hyssop and put it over your doorposts so when, when destruction comes and tries to come to your house to produce death, that it will pass over your house because of the blood. Now that's where the, the feast of Passover came from. And ever since that day on, they celebrated every year. Of course, they didn't put blood on their doorpost every year, but they would have the Passover meal. And we know the two parts of the Passover meal is the blood and the body. Are you with me tonight still? So with the Passover meal, the blood and the body was very vital to the meal. So every year during Passover, they would have this meal where they had wine and then they had bread, symbolizing the blood and the body of the lamb that was slain all those years ago. And we see this the week before Jesus died. It's called the Last Supper. Everybody remember the Last Supper? The Last Supper where Jesus is celebrating this meal with His disciples. He's celebrating this Passover meal. They're having the blood and they're having the body. They're eating together. They're fellowshipping together. And notice what Jesus says. He's not talking about a lamb that was slain a long time ago in the book of Exodus. But modern day, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the body of the new covenant. And guess what he says? It is my blood and my body that you're partaking of. Of course, he knew a week later he would go to the cross and he would fulfill the prophecy. He just prophesied. You still here, So we realize the blood in the body that is so important. But it was no accident that God sent his son at that the particular time of the feast of the Passover. Why? Because Jesus was the real lamb. The lamb in Exodus was a type and shadow of the perfect lamb to come. And we see in John 1... John the Baptist, as soon as he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. He didn't say, Behold the Lion of God. He didn't say, Behold the Giraffe of God. He didn't say, Behold the Kitty Cat of God. He said, Behold the Lamb. Because He is the true Lamb. Jesus is the true Lamb of God. The Lamb in Exodus was only foreshadowing and showing that the Lamb would come. In the fullness of time. And notice this. All those thousands of years later on the same Passover night. A lamb would shed his blood. You know in Isaiah we just read it a second ago. In Isaiah 53 it said Jesus was as a lamb led to the slaughter. So you realize the time of Jesus' death was on purpose. That's the first thing I want you guys to realize. It was on perfect, pur- purpose and it was significant why Jesus died in the Passover festival. Because he's the true lamb. He's the true lamb. And his covenant is a new covenant. His body and his blood are forever for us. And you need to realize this. Judas, we know that night, Judas sold out Jesus that very night. He, he, he got 30 uh, coins for selling out Jesus. And we see here, we know the religious people of that day hated Jesus' guts completely. The high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they hated Jesus because Jesus was the real deal. And Jesus was everything they ever wanted to be. And Jesus had, had the people loved Jesus. He had the power and authority that these Pharisees and Sadducees always wanted to have. So they were always trying to kill Jesus. But finally they got him because of Judas. And we see here that they could not kill him themselves because it was the feast of the Passover. And, and, you know, there couldn't be anything like a murder going on during the Passover, especially for these people who were particular about fulfilling everything. But notice they handed him over to the Roman government, which was ruling that time. And how many know the name Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate. So Pontius Pilate was really the ruler of that area during that day. He was a Roman man. And this is this is the what they used to say that Jesus was wrong is because they said, you know, Jesus says he's a king, he says he's God, and they used that with Pilate because Pilate knew that there's only they they considered only one god or one king and that was Caesar. And if anybody said anything that he was king or he, he was God, they'd killed him imme- immediately. So these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees did it on purpose to fire up Pilate. To make sure he would kill him because they knew that they couldn't kill Jesus. They would have to get the Roman government to kill Jesus. I'm just giving you a little background before we jo- dive into the story here. And so we see this that Pilate ordered Jesus to be crucified. But the question is who really killed Jesus? A lot of people discuss this, a lot of people get upset about this because people say, you know, the Jews killed Jesus, or the Romans killed Jesus, or Pilate killed Jesus. Guess what? They they did not kill Jesus. We killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. It wasn't just a Jew or a Roman or Pilate. It was all of us that killed Jesus because he, did, he didn't just die for us. He died as us on that cross. And so we need to realize that it's not, you know, who killed Jesus, Jew, Gentile, whatever, Roman. We killed him. You need to realize this thing about Jesus. Turn to John 10 real quick. John 10. John 10:17 John 10:17 It says therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again Notice this verse 18 no one takes it from me but I lay it down of myself and I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again This is the command I have received from my father. Notice that Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. You need to realize this. The Jewish people, the Roman people, Pilate, they don't have the authority to kill Jesus unless he lets them kill him. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in charge. Jesus has authority. So notice this. He tells them, guess what? You don't have any authority unless it's been given unto you. Because if you read the gospels, the religious people that day tried to kill Jesus about four or five times before that. But you know why they couldn't kill him? Because he could, he's, he, he will only die if he lays down his own life. Nobody has authority and power to take the life of Jesus. But notice, Jesus went willingly this time. All the rest of the times, he knew it wasn't his time, so he walked away, he got out of it, he wasn't killed. But this time, Jesus willingly went to the cross. You need to realize that. Jesus was not forced on the cross by the Jews. He was not forced on the cross by Pilate. He willingly laid down his life, because if he wouldn't, he would still be alive today. On on the earth, in physical form. Because he he didn't have to lay down his life if he didn't want to. But he chose willingly to lay down his life. You know, in John 19, it says, you have no power over me. And he says, I could call 10,000 legions of angels right now. And this dude would be over with. So Jesus has the power. Jesus has the authority. And notice he wasn't forced. It was a choice. In the garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus said, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me. Because he was feeling it in his, his physical body. His, he had emotions. And he, he didn't want to go to the cross for a minute there. Because he felt the pain, the agony that he would have to go through. But he had us in mind the whole time. And he said, guess what? Not my will, but your will, God. I will willingly go to the cross. I will willingly will, lay down my life. Because nobody can take my life from me unless I lay it down. But he did. He laid it down willingly of his own accord for me and for you. You know, in Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What was the joy set before Him? Me and you. He was thinking about me and you. He was thinking about the family He always wanted. He was thinking about us being forgiven and set free and coming to life. That was the joy that was set before Jesus. So realize this. When when the high priest first got Jesus, the Sadducees, the Pharisees of that day, they hated Jesus' guts. Now, this is what Jesus endured for us. You need to realize this. This is what he endured for us. When they, when they first got Jesus, it says in the Gospels, I'm going to kind of sum up a lot of what the Gospels say here, is first of all, one thing to do, they stripped him totally naked. They didn't care if he was embarrassed or not. They stripped him completely naked. And it says in one of the Gospels, some of the other Pharisees and Sadducees, they blindfolded Jesus. And they started punching him in the face. We're talking hard punches to the face. That's what Jesus took for you. Hard punches to the face. And of course they were all gathering around him. Mocking him. Taunting him. And it says in the gospels they were going around and punching the face saying. You know Jesus who is it? Do you know who it is? Prophesy to us. You say you're God. You say you're a king. Prophesy. Which one is it? He was enduring that for us. And notice Jesus didn't open up his mouth. Because if he would, 10,000 legions of ages would, would immediately come to his rescue. But he didn't open his mouth up. And then he got handed over to Pilate. And of course, Pilate, he sent him to be whipped. Pilate sent him to be flogged. They, they call it flogging or whipping. And they would use a, a, a rope. And it had a all these different straps of it. Of some metal and, and bone and sharp glass all over it. And they would beat the person, whoever it was, it happened to be Jesus this time. And pretty much till he was almost dead. They would tie him up to a post. They would just beat his back till he could barely breathe anymore. And really they thought that Jesus was dead because they beat him so bad on his back. Of course, we read it later and we have understanding what Isaiah 53 means. By his stripes we are healed because he took those stripes on his back willingly for us. Not because he had to, because he wanted to. He wasn't forced to. He laid, and notice that whole time, it said like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. He could have tried to defend himself. He could have said, God, stop this. Send the angels. No, he did that for you. He endured that for me and for you. But, The reason Pilate did that is because he felt like if he did that, that maybe Jesus would apologize for some of the statements he made. Maybe Jesus would take back some of the statements he said about uh, that he was God and he was a king. But Jesus didn't repent for those statements. Jesus didn't apologize for what he said. So Pilate really, most of the time, if you read the Gospels, Pilate really didn't even want to kill Jesus. But he felt the pressure from uh, the the crowds of Jewish people, the crowds chanting Jesus' name to crucify him. He really didn't even want to. But he didn't want to have a dilemma on his hand where it would cause just chaos in the city. But he thought that this whipping would probably help. That maybe Jesus would apologize to the people. Maybe he would take back his statements, but he didn't. He didn't take back what he said. But they pretty much beat him to the point of death where he was irrecognizable. It talks about not only did they beat him in the face, but they beat him with a whip. They punched him. They ripped out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a crown of thorns on his head because, of course, you know, he he said he was a king. So in a mocking gesture, they made thorns. And we're not talking about just little tiny thorns that you would see in your backyard. We're talking about big thorns huge thorns that pierced his skull, that went into his skull. They said when a, thorn, a crown of thorns like that would go into your head, you would, your, of course your head would start bleeding, but your head would start actually swelling from the pain and suffering that that would take. Jesus took that for you. Do you realize that? Jesus took that for you. Jesus took that on his head so we could have peace in our minds. So we could have a sound mind. So we could have a whole mind. So we could think right. He took that crown of thorns on his head for us. But all of that wasn't enough. If You know, they could have let him go by then. But these people were ruthless. They said, we want you to crucify him. And by now, Pilate thought, are you guys done with this guy? Because Pilate knew that he was guilty of nothing. He, didn't, he did no wrong. He didn't deserve it. But Pilate did it only because the crowds demanded that he be crucified. And so we see here that in the Gospels, if you read them, there was a a guy named Barabbas and there's also Jesus. And Barabbas was a murderer, a rapist, you know, a a bad guy. And they said, all right, we're going to crucify some guy today. Of course, Pilate again is trying to get Jesus out of this. Pilate's like, there is no way they're going to pick Jesus, the guy who's done nothing wrong. They're going to pick pick Barabbas because he's hurt people. He's murdered people. He's raped people. But guess what? The crowd chose Jesus. The crowd chose Jesus to be crucified. If you know anything about crucifixion, it's crucifixion was the most gruesome way of killing someone. I know today we have crosses around our necks and at our churches and a cross is on our walls at home, but it was a really nasty, gruesome thing in that day. It would be probably the equivalent to like an electric chair or something in our day. So a cross was gruesome. It was a sign of judgment. It was a sign of cursing. It was a sign of torture in that day. We need to realize this in Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ has redeemed us for the curse of the law. Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. And notice Jesus was cursed so we could be blessed. But it's interesting that Jesus would be crucified on a tree. It's significant. You know, we talked last week a lot about Genesis. And we talked about the gospel in Genesis. And and God revealing his plan all the way back in Genesis. you need to realize this. That the first Adam brought sin into the world. The origin of sin came from a tree. But the last Adam, Jesus, brought the solution for sin by dying on a tree. Jesus was the last Adam, it says. And God shows us this because he preached the gospel all the way back in Genesis. And the thing that brought sin into the world was a tree. But the thing that solved the solution to sin was a tree. And if you read, if you read any in uh, the New Testament, a lot of times he uses the word tree instead of cross. Because it's significant. And we need to realize that Jesus hung on that tree to take our torture, to take our judgment, to take our wrath for us. Let's turn over to Mark 15. Mark 15, you guys still here? Mark 15. Mark 15. Mark 15, and we're going to get into some of the last statements of Jesus. I know we're kind of doing some teaching tonight, but I'm trying to set it up so you guys really understand the impact of what was really happening this week. Because sometimes we could just look over it and just think about the cross and not think about all the details and things he went through before he even got to the cross. But we know uh, the Romans, they crucified people all the time, so it wasn't really a big deal for people to be crucified. And... In that day, pretty much it was a sign to let everybody know, do not mess with Rome, do not disobey the Roman government, or you will end up like this person hanging on a cross. Of course, when they crucified people, it would always be a public place where they would be embarrassed by everybody, they would be mocked by everybody, they would be naked on that cross. Jesus didn't have a pair of boxers on like he usually does in all the pictures we have. Jesus was totally naked on that cross because it was supposed to be embarrassing. And Jesus took that for us. If you know anything about uh, the, the cross too, you don't die on the cross from blood loss. You die from suffocation. And really that's a worse way to die than dying from bleeding. Because it was a, a, a thing that you're tortured. You're in torment the whole time you're up there. And we see this as they would nail and tie their arms on either side. And of course they would nail and tie their feet But after a while, they couldn't hold their own body weight, but they couldn't get breath because their feet were nailed into the cross also. So eventually, they would die from suffocation. Their lungs would fill up with fluid. Their lungs would fill up with blood. And eventually, they could not hold themselves up anymore because they'd be so tired. This is what kind of gruesome death Jesus died for us. And I'm not trying to make this just, uh, just sober and sad, but you need to think about the severity of this. You need to think about the magnitude of what Jesus did and everything he paid for you. So you wouldn't have to do it. So you wouldn't have to face judgment. So you wouldn't have to face wrath. This is what Jesus did for you. You know, when you're on the cross, you're about to die. Your lungs are filling up. You're trying to breathe. It's going to be hard to speak. Also, if you read anything about the other, uh, people that are hung on a cross, is when you were hung on the cross, you were going to curse the people around the cross. You were going to curse the Roman people because you were going to be ticked off that you were dying. But notice the statements Jesus says are not cursing. He doesn't curse at people. He doesn't uh, talk bad about people. And that was was the norm for people to do when they're on the cross. This was some of their last statements. This was some of their last breath. But let's check out what Jesus said on the cross. Actually let's go, go go over to Luke 23 before we go to Mark. Luke 23 real quick. Luke 23. Luke 23 in verse 44. Luke 23. Actually yeah, Luke 23:34. 34. 34. 34. And then it said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Notice, notice the statement Jesus said on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Now, this is the complete opposite of what every other person on the cross would say. They were cursing at people. They were saying, Guess what? You know exactly what you're doing, and it's very painful right now. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the magnitude of what this is doing for all eternity. They don't know what they're doing. But he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive The people killing Jesus, he's telling them to forgive them. He's telling his Father in heaven to forgive the people that he's dying for. If you notice this, he says they don't know what they're doing. And you know, ever since Adam sinned, mankind has not known what they're doing. They don't know where they're going in life. They have no purpose in life. They have no hope in life. They don't know what they're doing because sin does that to somebody. They have no purpose. They have no vision. They have no outlook on life because sin destroys people. Sin brings death. And all of mankind has not known what they're doing. They don't know their purpose. They don't know their destiny. They don't know their rightful place. They don't know what they're doing. And, And notice he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing right now. They haven't been knowing what they're doing for years and years. And it's not their fault. It's because of Adam sinned and there's sin in them. Their their nature is sin. And they don't know anything else other to do than sin. That's who they are. But he says, Father, forgive them. If I was on the cross, I wouldn't say, Father, forgive them. I would say, Father, we're not going to say that up here because I'm a youth pastor. But Father, forgive them is not going to be the thing out your mouth. How many are with me? You're not going to say, Father, I'm trying to forgive them. It's one thing if somebody steals like a piece of your gum, you say, Father, forgive them. But if somebody's actually crucifying you on a cross and you're dying, uh, your, your normal uh, nature is not to say, Father, forgive them. But notice Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's turn over to Mark 15. Mark 15. You guys here tonight, Mark 15. I know we're doing a little more teaching than we usually do. Mark 15. Mark 15 and verse 33. Notice this. In Mark 15, 33, here's another statement that Jesus said on the cross. It says, and now when it was the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And notice this. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Elo, Elo, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice that when Jesus was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It became dark everywhere. And I believe it was not just dark in Jerusalem, but it was dark everywhere on the planet this day. And notice Jesus knew that this was coming. But to actually be experiencing separation from His Father was almost too much to bear. you got to realize the Father and the Son have always been together. Before time as we know it together for all of of eternity, the Father and the Son have been one. They have never been separated. The Father, Son, and the Spirit have always been one together. And notice the Son... This was the first time that the son experienced separation from his father. You know, the physical part of Jesus' death was horrible. It was probably the most nasty gruesome death anybody could experience. And it wasn't just, you know, he just died. All the torture that went up to it and all the pain he he did up to it was just horrible. But this spiritual pain that he suffered could have been worse. And notice he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus, for the first time, felt what people feel when they don't have God. Separation from God, that hopeless feeling, that feeling that there's no way out, that there's no purpose for living, that hopeless separation from God, that you know you need something outside yourself. Jesus felt that. And he did that for all of us, for all time. And he was separated from his Father. For us, notice this, he was separated from his father so he could say to us, He will never leave us nor forsake us. Guess what? I am never separated from God anymore. I am never separated from God. And that only is possible because Jesus was separated from his father. But guess what? My father. I'm never separated from him because Jesus paid that for us. He paid the separation that we should have had from God. He paid it. So he will never leave us, never be separated from God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Now let's look over at John 19. John 19. John 19. John 19 and verse 28. John 19 and verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing all things that were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Verse 29, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and he filled a sponge with sour wine, put on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. You know, the significance of that passage right there is, you know, when they were on the cross, they would be, of course, suffocating, but they would get very thirsty on the cross because it would be the middle of the day. And they would be just looking for anything, water, sour wine, any kind of liquid they could get. And notice, Jesus said, I thirst, and they put sour wine up to his mouth. But notice what they used. They put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. The significance of that was, we talked about it earlier, in the Passover meal, when they would put the blood on the doorpost, guess what they used to put Hyssop. They put the branches of of hyssop to to put the blood on the doorpost. So this is very significant. Like I said, God does not do anything by accident. He does everything on purpose. Because Jesus is fulfilling. He is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God. He is the true lamb. Notice in verse 30. This is probably the most amazing statement that's in the Bible today. It says so when Jesus had received the sour wine he received the that what we deserved he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit notice he said it is finished that is some of the most powerful words in the entire bible it is finished what is finished death is finished for us sin is finished for us everything that we owed to the holiness of God. The judgment that we deserve. The cursing that we deserved, The judgment and payment that we deserve for our sin. It is finished. It is paid for. It is done. And Jesus' work is finished. You need to realize this. We don't have to add to anything that Jesus did. We don't have to do good works to get into heaven. It is finished. It's not by what we can do. It's by what He has done. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work. That's when we receive forgiveness of sins. It is finished. You need to realize this. You need to live your whole life with the motto, It is finished. For everything in your life. For healing. For prosperity. For your salvation. For redemption. For everything that you could... For wholeness of mind. It is finished. It's already paid for. All you have to do is receive it. You don't have to read enough Bible. You don't have to pray enough. You don't have to chant enough. All you got to do is receive everything that God has provided for you. Because it is finished. The price that was paid for your complete redemption, not only your spirit, your soul, and body, it's finished. 2,000 years ago, it is finished. And when we put our faith in His finished work, we receive everything that He's provided for us. It is finished. What is finished? Man is no longer separated from God anymore. There is no longer a divide between us and God. It is finished. Now God and man can return to the fellowship that they had in the garden. They can return to intimacy with each other, like God always meant it to be. Him and His man being one together. It is finished. There's no more separation anymore. Jesus has bridged the gap between us, and we know when it when it happened. And Jesus said, "It is finished." We all know the story that the t- the the uh, thing. I'm trying to remember the veil. My God, I'm getting so excited here. I don't even know what to say. The veil in the temple was written to when he said it was finished. Because that's the veil in the temple temple separated people from the presence of God. And you couldn't pass that veil because you weren't good enough. You weren't holy enough. You weren't perfect enough to pass that veil. But when Jesus said it is finished, we have complete access to God now. We don't have to go to an ark. We don't have to go to a box. We don't have to go to a building. The presence of God is with us at all times because it is finished. It's done. We don't have to work on what Jesus did. We don't have to add to what Jesus did. It's already finished. The reason why a lot of Christians are so frustrated is because they feel like they got to add to something that Jesus did so God will accept them. So they uh, they will earn God's salvation. They will earn their healing. They will earn their blessing. But guess what? It's finished. All that Jesus asks you to do is put your faith in His finished work. It's finished, and, and, and it's not finished just for the people that lived right after Jesus. It's finished for all time, for all generations, for all people. It's finished. God doesn't pick and choose. You can, you can receive the gift. You can't receive the gift. No, it's finished for everyone, for all time. I don't care how bad you think you are or how good you think you are. It is finished for you because it's a gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift to everyone. You know, in Luke 23, 46, let's turn over there real quick. Luke 23, 46. Thank you, Bishop. You helped me a minute ago. Luke 23, 46. Luke 23, 46. And we see, we see in this uh, the other verse we were just at, it said, and Jesus bowed his head after he said that, and he gave up his spirit. Why did why did Jesus have to give up his spirit? Because We went over it earlier. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. No one takes my life. Jesus didn't have to die on that cross. But Jesus willingly gave up his spirit. Because he could have still been hanging up there for days and days and days. But it was a conscious choice because no one takes my life from me, Jesus said. I lay it down. And so until Jesus said, I give up my spirit, guess what? He's going to still be on that cross. But Jesus knew that it was time. And notice in verse 45, we'll start here. It said, then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. We just talked about that. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. Notice that Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. He gave up his spirit. He had to willingly give up his spirit. We know after that, that it was tradition for them, especially during uh, the feast of the Passover, they didn't want dead people hanging on a cross during their Passover celebration. That wasn't too nice to look at when they're trying to celebrate Passover. So they tried to make sure they hurry up and killed these people so they could get them off the cross before Passover celebration really got into it on Saturday and Sunday. So we see this, that the other two guys hanging on the cross, they broke their legs so they would suffocate. But notice they didn't break Jesus' legs because that was fulfilling a prophecy that no bone of His body would be broken. And if you realize back in the Passover lamb, one of the requirements for the Passover lamb is when you kill the lamb, none of His bones could be broken. And none of Jesus' bones were broken of course Jesus was already dead physically because he gave up his spirit but they they put a spear in Jesus' side and it said blood and water came out of Jesus side proving that he was really dead they thought he was but they were just testing it and you know you know that we celebrate tomorrow and really this whole week or this whole week and weekend about Good Friday and Really, this first Friday was not a good Friday. It was a horrible Friday. It was probably the worst day of their life. For Mary and the disciples and the other followers of Jesus, it was the most horrible day of your life because you felt like all your hopes, all your dreams were down the drain. Because Jesus was saying, I'm going to start a kingdom and you're going to be my disciples and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And then Jesus dies. And they are just, they are bummed out. They are depressed. So the first Friday was really not that good of a Friday. It was a bad day for them, to say the least. And you know, they they probably thought this because there was many people during that period of time that would claim that they were messiahs. They would claim that they were anointed ones. And the same thing would happen to all of them. Guess what? People would rise up, uh, the Romans would kill the so-called messiah, and they would be dead, And and that movement would be over with. So a lot of these people were probably thinking, Jesus is just one of these so-called messiahs. He raises up, he causes some trouble. The Romans kill him, he's dead. All right, we'll wait for the next one to come. But Jesus is not just like the other messiahs. He's not just a man. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so it was a dark day. It was a dark time for these people. And of course, you know, there's a lot of things that allude to this in Scripture. We don't know exactly all what happened to Jesus during those three days. But we can, uh, you know, just look at the scriptures. And I I believe, I know a lot of people believe this, that he spent those three days in hell. He spent those three days being tortured. He spent those days down in hell being uh, just beat up and mocked by. And, you know, the devil thought he actually had something going on. He thought he actually had God Uh, on the run. He thought that he actually was winning but it was the biggest epic fail of the devil's life. Hello, somebody. And uh, talk about epic fails of all proportion. That should be number one on YouTube. Because, and it even says in the Word of God, if you read it, it says, if the devil would have known what he was doing, he would have never done it. But guess what? The devil's an idiot, okay? And it says, Jesus was was, uh, uh, slain before the foundation of the world. God already had this in mind before he even created the planet. And so, God, in his foreknowledge, knew that this was going to happen. But the devil didn't. Because the devil's an idiot. And so, what the devil thought, he he thought he had God, he thought he had one up. Guess what? God turned it around. And you know what? Jesus did not stay in hell. He did not stay in the grave. And on Sunday morning, he got up from the grave. If we just had the band playing, he got up right now. That would be legit. But... Because Jesus is not just like the rest of the so called messiahs of that time, he is God. He is not just a man he 's not just an enlightened person he 's not just a good teacher, he is God so you 've got to realize this: he got out of the grave on Sunday morning. Jesus did not stay in the grave he got out of the grave, and you need to realize this. All the other leaders of world religions, Muhammad, Buddha, you name them, Hare Krishna, whoever, any kind of new age person you could think of, guess what? They're in the grave today. But Jesus is not in the grave. And all those people are dead and they know better now. But guess what? Jesus got up on the third day. If you you read this passage we read earlier, it says, I laid down my own life, but he goes, I have power to take it up again. And after three days, he said, okay, I'm going to take it back up again. Because it was time, the payment was done, and guess what? It was, it was time for him to get out of the grave and show the world the risen Christ. So that's what we celebrate. So I, I'm just ready to celebrate right now, but how about, you know, on Sunday morning, it could be popping in here. Because we're going to celebrate when Jesus got out of the grave. And you know, because Jesus got out of the grave, that means we can get out of the grave. Hello, somebody. Because he came from death to life, all of us in here have become from death to life. We see here, as we close, he spent 40 days with his disciples. You know, he he met Mary in the garden, and and Mary didn't even believe it, it was him at first. And then, of course, you know, all the disciples were freaking out, they were still depressed. They were still thinking that that people were out to kill them too, and they were up in the in this room locked away. But guess what? Jesus came in. He was resurrected. He walked through the wall, which that's a whole different story. P. Jansen can explain that to you how he walked through the wall. So he walked through the wall and he he revealed himself to his disciples that he was risen, that everything he said was true, and we see Thomas said, "If I don't if I don't uh, touch." Touch the wounds in your hands and in your feet. I won't believe it's you. And guess what? Jesus appeared to him and showed him that he was really risen from the dead, but he left after 40 days and notice what he said. He said, I'm going to send another to you and it's going to be for your advantage that I go because Jesus was with you, but I'm going to send one who's going to be in you. And that's the Holy spirit. And how we know Jesus now, as we speak tonight, is in heaven at the right hand of the Father in glorified form. And He is there for for us, praying for us, interceding for us, looking out after us. But He sent the Holy Spirit, which is in us tonight. And the Holy Spirit is here with us. And how many know the Spirit of God in the church is going to complete what Jesus started on this earth. And when we complete it, guess what? Jesus is not going to be in heaven forever. He's going to come back to get us. And that's just not a, a, a wild story. That's just not somebody's idea. Jesus is really going to come back someday for us. But the church and the Spirit need to get the job done that Jesus has sent us to do. Let's turn over to Revelation. Uh Uh-oh. Revelation. Revelation. Did you guys get anything tonight? I know I was kind of more teaching tonight than usual, but... Revelation 1. Revelation 1, and we're going to read in verse 17. Now... Revelation one we we're going to read here. Now, this is the Jesus now. Like, I was explaining to you earlier what Jesus went through and all the things that happened to him. But this is thousands of years ago that happened to him. He's not, he's not in pain anymore. He's not in agony anymore. He's not being tortured anymore. He's in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father. And he's victorious over everything. He has authority over everything. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords forever. So this, in Revelation, we'll see here, uh, is the way Jesus is right now as we speak and will be for all time. And notice what he says to John. He says, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, saying, as I was dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, this is Jesus speaking. Do not be afraid, for I am the first and I am the last. Verse 18, and I am he who lives. And guess what? And I was dead. I was dead. Nobody else can say, I was dead. And then he says, behold, and I'm alive forevermore. He's alive forevermore. And then he amens himself. Come on, somebody. Amen. And notice he says, I have the keys of hell and death. Jesus owns the keys to the universe. He got the keys back That Satan took from Adam. He's got the keys to all authority in heaven and earth and under the earth. Jesus has all authority. And that's what position he sits tonight. That's our resurrected Lord. That's our resurrected Christ. And he runs the universe. Hello somebody. Not just this planet. He runs the universe. He says I am he who lives and I was dead. I was dead. Jesus did die, but guess what? I took up my body again, and I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. Pretty much, in layman's terms, I have the key to anything you need. I have the key over everything in this universe. I have the key out of any room of bondage that the devil's tried to keep you in. I have the key to that door. Jesus is the open door, and he has the key to everything in your life, to new life, to any kind of bondage that you could be in, guess what? Who has the key? The the custodian of the cosmos has the key, and his name is Jesus. Hello, somebody. And he can open up any door. There is no door shut to Jesus. But this is my Jesus. Hello, somebody. This is my Jesus right now. He is alive forevermore. He is alive forevermore. He's alive forevermore. So let's meditate. Let's meditate on this for the next couple of days. Really for the rest of our lives, but definitely for the next couple of days and get ready for Sunday. Because Sunday morning we celebrate his resurrection when he got up. Tomorrow we celebrate, you know, his death. You know, it was gory and it was gruesome, like we talked about. We talked about all the things he endured physically and spiritually and the statements he said. But he's not in suffering and pain anymore. He's resurrected and he has all power and all authority and I love the word of God says at the end of all time guess what every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord either you can say it in this life or the next one but everybody's going to say at the end of time Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Christ is God and Jesus Christ is the only way so it's our decision whether we want to do it on this this earth or in the life to come because we're all going to have to say it eventually that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's risen amen Did you guys get something tonight? Come on now. Let's pray together. You guys ready to pray?